message we bring, hymn number songs we probably haven't sung for a decade uh, is my guess because I don't recall the last time we uh, we sang those two songs but they were two good old ones that we sang years and years ago and they certainly will relate to uh, the sermon this morning a couple of folks we need to keep in prayer I just learned this morning uh, that Dr. Barry Daub had passed away I know we've been praying for him a fellow from Millersburg and many of you know him but uh, early this morning, about 1 o'clock, um, he had passed away. Keep Dave Booker in prayer. He's planning to go in for a PET scan on this Wednesday, actually, this Wednesday. And you'll see there in your on your prayer sheet uh, that we're supposed to pray that the test confirms what the doctor saw through the EEG monitoring. Uh, so it's, again, just a confirmation of the information that was received in Hershey Med Center uh, but pray for this PET scan that all goes well and that they're able to um, receive the information 
uh, that they need. Uh, we've also been praying for Wendy Clough. Uh, as you know, on Thursday night, they removed uh, the uh, life support, and, um, but she's still holding on. Uh, as of yesterday afternoon, I saw her there with her sister and brother, and um, she's still holding on. So again, I didn't hear anything today, but as of yesterday afternoon, um, she still was holding on. So uh, we do need to pray, however, you know, that the Lord would take her soon. Uh, that's the prayer now. On her, for her sake, um, that uh, everything will be changed. You know, in that moment, uh, she'll be ushered into the very presence of the Lord that she served and worshipped. And so our prayer now is that the Lord would take her home, of course, in his timing, uh, but the desire of our heart is that uh, the Lord would uh, take her home very, very soon. Do pray for the family members. She has a son, a sister, and a brother, and others. Uh, pray for them. Uh, not an easy time for them, um, so we certainly want to bring uh, her before the Lord as well. Uh, again, I keep looking at our list. I uh, see Gene Huffman. We haven't seen him for a little while. And to keep Gene Miller in prayer as well and others that are here on, on our sheet. I talked to Craig Williams a little bit about his wife, Linda, uh, who had the uh, valve replacement, and she still struggles with some stairs. So uh, do pray for her as well. Father, we come before you this morning, and we are thankful that we're able to do so. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, you are a God who is in control a God who continues to rule and reign over all things. Uh, Father, we are thankful that we can approach your throne of grace. Lord, we'll speak this morning in just a few moments about that throne. It is a throne, Lord, in which worship, worship takes place there in heaven. But Lord, it's also a throne in which we find grace to help in times of need. And so, Lord, as we come before you this morning, we, we come before you bringing these folks. But before we do, Lord, I do ask that, Father, you would use our time together. Uh, use this day that um, as we come together to worship, as we come together to hear the word of God, as we come together to pray and fellowship and be with one another. Father, we're thankful that we're able to do so. And so, Lord, we pray that the distractions of the world, Lord, might be left outside the walls of this sanctuary, that we might be able to focus on the things that are in front of us. Father, we are thankful for the salvation which you have provided. Lord, it's a salvation that has been given to us freely, a salvation that is by grace and through faith, a salvation that provides for us a, uh, a forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So for those things, Lord, we're thankful that we belong to you and you belong to us, that we are a part of your family. And as your family, Lord, we have come together on this day to bring you our praises, to bring you our worship. Father, be glorified and honored in all that we do and say. Father, we pray for the Daub family. We pray that you might provide them with comfort now during the loss of this loved one. Father, for Dave Booker, we pray this week as he goes in for this PET scan, that, Father, it would confirm the information that has already been received. We pray, Lord, for Wendy. Lord, and although as hard as it might seem, 
uh, we do ask that, Lord, you very quickly might call her home to be with yourself. Lord, we know that this is a loss. This is a loss of a loved one. But, Lord, we believe that, Lord, it's time now for you to take her home. Father, we thank you that she's relaxed, that she's at peace, and we thank you so much, Lord, that she knows you. Because, Lord, when she does take that last breath, Lord, she will be in your very presence. For the Bible says to be absent from this body to be, is to be in the presence of the Lord. Lord, that's the desire, the hope of all of us. And we pray, Lord, that that would happen very soon for her. Comfort those who surround her with their love. We pray that you would give to them the comfort and grace that only you're able to give. Father, you are a great and wonderful God, and Father, we come before you this morning. We pray that you would use our time, use this time greatly to bring glory and honor to yourself and change us. Father, change us as a result of our time together. Father, change us with your word. For we know, Lord, that it's the word of God that brings changes to us as we obey it as we apply it, as we take heart. So I pray that you would use now the praise team as they come to lead us again into your presence in music. Uh, again, Father, we're thankful for this wonderful day that you've given to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, well, if you look in your bulletin, it says that the Levos are doing special music this morning. But it's uh, the Levos and friends. Levos and <laughs> extended family in Christ, right? So that's what <laughs> uh, we're going to do this morning is uh, sing a song for you called There Will Be a Day. And it, it talks about uh, how there will be a day when there's no more tears, when there's no more pain, um, when there will be no more fear. Um, there will be a day when everything that is weighing on your shoulders will no longer be there anymore. And and what an awesome day that's going to be.
us we continue to worship the Lord together. These are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord. These are the days of your servant Moses righteousness being restored. Of great trials, of famine and darkness and storm. Still, we are the voice in the desert crying, preparing the way of the Lord.
But until then, we have a story that we need to tell. Um, the world needs to be made aware of that because one day it will be too late. One day it will be too late. And we have the awesome opportunity and privilege to be able to tell that story. If I told you my story, you would hear
Together will the circle be unbroken? And will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord? By and by, there's a better home awaiting in the sky.
website. It's uh, wolcpv.org. Uh, if you look there at the left-hand side, there's a link called Listen to Sermons. You can just click that, and that'll take you to this podcast.com where all the sermons will be there. Uh, we recorded the last couple weeks. Um, up at the top, you can click there to play the latest episode, or you can click on the date here of each uh, service, and go ahead and click on one of those, Pete, and then you can just play it right there uh, from your computer. Uh, it should work on either Windows, Mac, or iPhone, Android. It should work on any device. Um, and also, if you have iTunes, you can actually subscribe to the Sermon Podcast, and there's a nice little button back on our website there. It says, Get It on iTunes. So if you, if you do iTunes, uh, you can subscribe to it there. Um, for those of you who may not do the whole computer thing, uh, but you'd like a CD, I'm going to have a sign-up sheet out in the uh, fellowship hall. Uh, just write your name down and the date of the service that you wanted on a CD, and I'll have it for you the following Sunday. So, All right. Thank you. Wow, modern technology. Isn't that something? So you guys can hear me all week. You can sleep in on Sunday and then hear me this week. Oh my, modern technology. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's really quite, quite amazing. Uh, we had a Sunday school class as well, how um, you know, we're in the season of the end times and how technology plays a part in our Lord's return. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's where we are. It's where we are today, which is a good thing. Dr. David Jeremiah, when he graduated from seminary, uh, he was a youth director in a very large church. And the pastor gave him his first assignment, which was to lead a week-long prophecy conference for teenagers. And what he did to introduce the conference was he put together a drama or a skit. And he started the whole conference out by having these teenagers run up and down the aisles shouting, millions are missing around the world as news boys making an announcement millions missing as they shouted with gusto up and down the aisles millions missing around the world and then they started to read different news articles and this was the lead article at 1205 last night a telephone operator reported three frantic calls regarding missing relatives within 15 minutes all communications were jammed with similar inquiries. A spot check 
around the nation found the same situation in every city. Sobbing husbands sought information about the mysterious disappearance of their wives. One husband reported, I turned on the light to ask my wife if she remembered to set the clock, but she was gone. Her bedclothes were there, her watch was on the floor, but she vanished. An alarmed caller from Brooklyn tearfully reported, my husband just returned from the late shift. I kissed him, he just disappeared in my arms. You know, this event that is described in this fictional newspaper really will happen. The rapture of the church is the next great event on the prophetic calendar. We come now to Revelation chapter 4, and in Revelation chapter 4, we, we have a turning point. Revelation chapter 4 marks a turning point in this book called Revelation. Before you turn there, and I hear your pages already, turn with me once again to Revelation chapter 1. Two weeks ago, we started this series, and I said in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19 that God gives to us an outline. He gives us an outline of this entire book. Revelation 1.19 is a very important verse because we have in front of us what John is supposed to write. Jesus says to John, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Write what you've seen in the past, write what you see right now in the present, and write those things that will be in the future. Now, I, I said too on the first day of this series that I'm not going to have all the scripture on the screen behind me. I want for you to uh, get into the habit of bringing your Bibles so that you can follow along as we read. This book is made up of past, present, and future. Past is chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, we have what took place in the past. And that was this great vision that God had given to John there on the island of Patmos. The present is chapters 2 and 3. This deals with the seven churches that John writes to. John writes to seven churches in Asia Minor. And he addresses these churches in chapters 2 and 3. This is the present. Past, chapter 1. Present, chapters 2 and 3. When we come to chapter 4, we begin to look into the future. Most of this book is prophecy. Most of this book deals with future events. And that starts with chapter 4. So when we come to chapter 4, as I said, it marks a major prophetic turn in this book. We're no longer past, we're no longer present, but now we're looking down the corridor of time, we're looking into the future. Now, look at chapter 4 and verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. 
And the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So the first scene that John has as we begin our journey into the future, John sees an open door in heaven. John sees an open door in heaven. Now notice when this takes place. The verse begins with the words, after this, and ends with the words, after this. It's the word metatauta, which means after these things. Well, after what things? What are you talking about, John? Well, what has he just talked about? In chapters 2 and 3, he talked about the churches, ecclesia. Uh, we are the called out ones, ecclesia, the church. So we've just come through the seven churches, and some believe that these describe the churches in the church age in which we live now. We are living in the church age. And so John is saying, after the churches, after the church age, I looked up and I saw this door that, is stand, that stands open in heaven. Here's what's interesting. The word church, the word ecclesia, which means called out ones. This word church is, has been used in chapters 2 and 3 19 times. Church, the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Thyatira. 19 times the word church is used. When we come to chapter 4, the word church, ecclesia in Greek, disappears. The church vanishes. And the church does not return until Revelation 19 when the church returns with Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period and we come with Christ to earth. Where's the church? It disappears. Chapters 2 and 3, it talks about the church. The church was on center stage up to this point. But when we come to chapter 4, the church disappears. After this, after the church age, the church is removed. The church vanishes. The church is raptured. Think of the chronology in this book. We have the church age in chapters 2 and 3. Then John, and I admit, the rapture is not explicitly taught in, chapter, in, or in verse 1, but it does seem to be a clear picture of what is going to happen to the church after the church age, after this, after the church age, John is caught up. He is raptured up into the heavens. I believe it's a clear picture of what takes place for the church. We're living in the church age. We're living in the day of grace. But the day is coming. And we believe very soon when, when the trumpet, trumpet will sound and, and Christ will call us to be with himself and we will be caught up in the air. After that happens, what takes place? A period we call tribulation. There are seven years of tribulation. The tribulation in Revelation begins in chapter 6. Where's the church? Remember, it disappeared. It vanished. 
ecclesia. It's not found in chapter 6 through 19. Because the church is not here on earth during those tribulation years. Church age. Rapture of the church. Tribulation. The picture is clearly in front of us. Church age, chapters 2 and 3. John is caught up into heaven, the rapture. Tribulation follows, beginning in chapter 6. So I said the doctrine of the rapture is not explicitly taught right here, but I want you to see where it is taught. So with that being said, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I need to read to you the classic passage uh, on the rapture of the church. And let me preface what I'm going to read in 1 Thess 4, uh, saying this. Apparently, Paul was in the city of Thessalonica. <coughs> and while he was there, he taught them about the rapture. He taught them that those who trust in Christ someday will be caught up. They will be snatched away. And they believed that. They understood that. But then they probably thought to themselves, but what happens if you die prior to the rapture? Maybe someone in the city of Thessalonica had a, a loved one who actually passed away. And they're wondering, well, Paul taught us that we're going to be snatched away. We're going to be caught up. But what happened to Uncle Joe? Uncle Joe just passed away. He's not going to be part of that snatching away, is he? And so Paul, he wants to clarify things. And what he does in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, starting at verse 13, he clarifies how this all works out. Now follow along as I read. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, those who have died. When Paul speaks about sleep, he's talking about death. I, I, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you what we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, notice the order in verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, here's a time word, after that, we who are still alive and are left, we then will be caught up. There's the snatching away. There's, there's the rapture. We will be caught up together, wonderful reunion, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right, Paul, make it clear to us. Help us to understand, some of us, we've lost loved ones who have died in the Lord. They've, they, they, they know the Lord, 
they've walked with God for all of their lives, they know they're a child of God's, but they passed away. Help us understand, Paul, what is going to take place. All right, we know we're going to be caught up, but what happened to my loved one? Well, Paul says this. He says, first of all, when that trump sounds, and by the way, you notice the similarity back in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. It speaks of a trumpet. Again, another indication of the picture of uh, Revelation 4, 1 being that of the rapture of the church. The trumpet sounds, but when that sounds, it doesn't say that the, those who are alive will be called up immediately, but the dead in Christ will go first. And then after they come from the grave, then we who are alive will be called up. Now, all this happens in the twinkling of an eye. So it's not like there's, really, it's almost not as if there's an order to things. Although, you know, this happens first, this happens second. But it happens like that. But the dead in Christ, those who have died, your loved ones who know, knew the Lord and are in the grave today. The Bible says, you know, that they, they're, 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 the spirit lives on even though the body dies. And so there'll be this great resurrection in which the, those in the grave, those who died in Christ, will rise first, meet the Lord in the air. Those who are alive at that point, they will meet the Lord in the air, and everyone is together. So here is the wonderful doctrine of the rapture of the church. Rapture is not a word that you'll find in the Bible. It's a Latin word, actually. But we have words like caught up, snatched away, vanish. All those words that indicate the rapture of the church. So coming back now to Revelation chapter 4. John, the Bible says, he hears this voice. Sounds to him like a trumpet. And the voice says to John, come up here and I'm going to show you what must take place after this, in that twinkling of an eye, John is caught up into the heavenlies. At once, we read in verse 2, I was in the Spirit immediately. So let's pretend this morning, um, we're not children. I know children like to play pretend, um, but we're going to play a game called pretend. Let's pretend that the rapture has just taken place. And we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. What do we see and hear? What, what are, the, what are those, the first things that, that we're going to see and hear once we get to heaven? Well, let's read on. Let's read this chapter, and I think we'll discover the sights and the sounds of heaven. After this, let's start with verse 1. I looked, there was before me a door standing open in heaven. And the voice, by the way, that voice is whose? Christ's, back in chapter 1. It says, the voice I first heard. We could go back to chapter 1 and see that that voice is Jesus' voice. The voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet. And the voice said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven. Now, 
keep in mind that what is at the center, this object that is in, in, in the center of heaven, the center of attraction, seems to be the throne. All right? And there he sees a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In the front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. There are three things in this chapter that Christians will see and hear upon arrival in heaven. When we are caught up <coughs> and we come into the place we call heaven, there are three things that we will see and hear. First of all, we will see the master on the throne. The master on the throne. The throne is the central object in heaven. We read that, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I have that throat thing again. It just doesn't want to go away. In chapters 4 and 5, we have 18 times the word throne used. 18 times we read of the throne in heaven. This is the same throne of grace that we come to. When we pray, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, it says we're to come boldly with great confidence before the throne of grace. This is the throne we're speaking of. This is, this is that throne in heaven. And it says that there's someone sitting on it in verse 3. Someone is sitting on this throne. Now, there are really only two options. It could only be God himself or Jesus. 
And I rule out Jesus because if you turn over to chapter 5 and verse 7, it says this. Over in chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, um, He went and took, and he's talking about the Lamb in the earlier verses of chapter 5, the Lamb who clearly is Christ. He, the Lamb, Christ, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So, in my opinion, the one sitting on the throne in this case is God himself. But you say to yourself, wait a minute, <laughs> no one has ever seen God and live, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Doesn't the Bible say that in John chapter 1 and verse 18? It says, no one has ever seen God. And back in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 10, uh, when God speaks to Moses and says that Moses is going to see God, remember, and he put him in the cleft of the rock uh, because uh, he was not able to see the full glory and the full essence of God. It was, it's said back there in Exodus 33.10 that no one can see me and live. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, however, it says this, God lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. He lives in unapproachable light. John sees something. It appears to be a person on the throne, but I don't know that he's actually sure because how he describes this one sitting on the throne is that he has the appearance of these precious stones. What John sees is the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow like an emerald encircling the throne. God is spirit, and we worship God in spirit and in truth. John certainly did not see God because God is spirit. No one can see spirit. But what does he see there on that throne? Someone sitting there. But what does John see? Not a person, but he sees the brilliance of these precious stones. He sees reflected the, the, the light, this unapproachable light. You know, I said before that when we come <coughs> to passages like this, we have to compare Scripture with Scripture. So let's go all the way back to the book of Ezekiel. Go back to the book of Ezekiel, and I believe Ezekiel will help us to understand what John sees. <coughs> Look at Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel is having a vision, as John has a vision. These are not dreams, these are visions. And in Ezekiel chapter 1, in verse 26, we read this. This is Ezekiel's vision. I saw that form what appeared to be his waist up, it, it looked like glowing metal. Now again, he's trying to describe the Lord. He, he saw something look like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. Now, it spoke in Revelation 4 about a rainbow encircling the throne. It sounds like Ezekiel and John, they are kind of seeing something similar. 
like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. It almost appears as though Ezekiel and John are seeing this, this same one. John sees him sitting on a throne, describes him as reflecting brilliant stones. Ezekiel sees someone who he speaks of as glowing metal. That's what he sees. A rainbow in the clouds, uh, radiance around him. And what he just says here in verse 28 is that it's the likeness of the glory of the Lord. It's, it's probably that same glory. You know, in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the Old Testament, uh, we speak about the Shekinah glory. When the priest walked into the temple, he, he was in the presence of God. But no man can see God. God is spirit. But you come into the presence of that Shekinah glory. That's, I believe, what Ezekiel sees. That glory of the Lord. That, I believe, is what John sees as he describes his appearance as being reflected brilliance of precious stones. He sees the glory of God. But God is not just great in glory, but John also sees in the beginning of verse 5, from this throne comes flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. God is not just great in glory, but great in government. Great in government. Because what we have here is God's righteous judgment that is about ready to be released upon the earth. The awesome power, the awesome majesty of God who is going to pour out his wrath upon an unbelieving world. And when we come to chapter 6, which we will next week, we're going to read about the, um, the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls that are filled with judgment as God unleashes that judgment and his wrath upon this earth. The second thing I see in chapter 4 is the multitude surrounding the throne. Look at verse 4 once again. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. The question is, who are these 24 elders? So there's a throne, someone sitting on it, we believe is God, and surrounding that throne are 24 other thrones with elders sitting on them. Now, most believe they either represent... All believe they represent a group of people, either angels or the redeemed, the saints of God. I rule out angels uh, because over in chapter 5 and verse 9, we have the song of the 24 elders and they speak of being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, which would indicate that these elders are redeemed people, represent redeemed people. Um, do they refer to the church? Some would say it's just the church. That this is the church of, of Jesus Christ 
who have been saved during the church age. But then I say, well, why the 24? What, what is that number symbolic of? What I feel is it's symbolic of the 12 patriarchs in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles in the New. That we're looking at both dispensations, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I see in the 24, I see these 24 representing the redeemed of all ages. The redeemed in the Old Testament, the redeemed in the New Testament. The redeemed of all ages. Notice how they're dressed. They're dressed in white and they have crowns of gold on their heads. Now we're going to come back to that. All right, we're going to come back to that uh, because I want to conclude with that thought that you might be wearing a crown of gold. I hope so. I hope so. Point number three, the majesty around the throne. The majesty around the throne. At the end of verse 6, we read this. It says, In the center and around the throne were four living creatures. Now, these are strange creatures, to say the least. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of these four living creatures, they had six wings, and they were covered with eyes all around, even under their wings, and day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Let me, well, you know what? I'm not going to read it. I was going to read something in Tyndall um, that helps understand. Let me just say who I believe these are. Uh, again, I believe these four living creatures represent, they represent uh, all of nature praising God. All of nature comes before the throne and praises God in some kind of exalted order of angelic beings. Uh, we could go back to Isaiah. Uh, he speaks of the seraphim who cry out, holy, holy, holy. If you want to compare scripture with scripture. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 1 and then in Ezekiel chapter 10 again. In 1 it speaks about uh, four living creatures and he calls them cherubim in the 10th chapter of his book. So we could go back and we could compare scripture with scripture. But it appears to me that uh, these four living creatures, um, they have a, a specific and a singular ministry, which is to praise God and lead others in praise to God. So we have these four living creatures who are leading others in praise to God as they praise God themselves. You know, the chief activity, according to this chapter, in heaven, for all of us, is the worship of God. The chief activity that will take place in heaven is the worship of of God. You look through chapters 4 and 5 and you hear the songs. There's a song in verse 11 of chapter 4, you are worthy. Over in chapter 5, again in verse 9, you are worthy. Down in verse 12, chapter 5, worthy is the lamb. And then in chapter or verse 13 of chapter 5 to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Worship day and night. It says that day and night, these four living creatures, they never stop saying 24-7. They continually are addressing God as a holy, holy, holy God. 
Let's go back now to verse 4. It says that these four living, 24 elders, who I said represent the redeemed, they represent you if you know the Lord as your Savior. If you're in heaven during this time and not on earth, I trust you will be. You know, you either go to heaven or you're left behind. The Bible says that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. And we need to believe in him. Ask him to forgive us of our sins so that we have a relationship with God. So that when that day comes, the trumpet calls that we will go to be with him in heaven and not remain here on earth. So we're now in heaven, represented by these 24 elders. And it says that they were dressed in white referring to a purity, a righteousness, a holiness, and wearing <laughs> crowns of gold on their heads. The Bible says that we're saved by grace, but after we're saved, we're to work and labor for the kingdom of God. The Bible says that we are, we are to be involved in God's work, in his service. Because someday, we will stand before God at this throne. Many believe that this is the throne where the judgment seat of Christ takes place. We stand before this throne and give an account of the things that we've done here on this earth. We will stand someday before God and give an account of the things we've done here on this earth. This is not a matter of salvation. That has already been determined. That has already been determined. We're already in heaven. However, rewards are given for faithful service here on earth. And the Bible describes those awards as crowns. As crowns. And so here, these 24 elders, they have crowns on their heads. Again, this is not a matter of salvation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. However, the Bible also says that someday we will stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we will give an account of our service here on this earth. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, let me show you this verse. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Someday we stand before this throne. God sitting on it. And the Bible says Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, that the Father has given all judgment into his hands. And someday we stand before God, the judgment seat of, of Christ. And this is a place of triumph, or it might be a place of tears. Have you ever heard that there's no tears in heaven? I was reading Dr. Jeremiah, and um, he says something quite interesting. You know, the verse that deals with no more tears 
is in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, he says, that at that point, at the end of the tribulation, at the end of the millennium, back in Revelation 21 is where the tears are wiped away. He believes there could possibly be some tears right here. For those who are ashamed at the life they live, those who God has given wonderful gifts to, and they never use them. Those who had great opportunities to be able to share their faith with others. And never shared their faith. You see, this is giving an account. And so he goes on to say in, these, in this section that he uh, speaks of. And now, to be honest, this is the first I really heard that thought. That there might be tears at the judgment seat. For neglected opportunities on earth, gifts that were left unused, neglected holiness, Christians who go through this life with dirty lives, or rewards that could have been earned, but were lost. So he says that could be a day of great triumph, but maybe a day of shedding tears. Two crowns are mentioned in the Bible. There's the crown that's put on the ruler or the sovereign. You know, the king, King David sat with a crown. But there's also a crown called the victor's crown, Stephanos. And this is a crown that's given and handed out for faithful service. This is the crown that's spoken of here. But notice what it says in verse 10. What do we do with these crowds? crowns? Are we going to go through all eternity with crowns on our heads? So that we can look at each other and say, whoa, you did a lot in, down on earth, didn't you? Whoa, no crown. Wow. No, that's not going to take place at all. Because if you notice verse 10, what do we do with our crowns? We lay them at the foot of the throne. We lay them before God. Why do we do that? Why do we take off our crowns? It's an acknowledgement that God alone is worthy. That God alone deserves our ultimate praise and you know, the rewards that we get the awards that we get on that day we're going to lay before god and acknowledge that he is worthy and deserves <coughs> our ultimate praise so i ask you this morning what will that day be like for you can you imagine standing before god there's jesus at his right hand and be asked the question, what did you do for me down on earth? What did you do for me? Remember, you can't pretend at that point. You can't pretend you did something that you didn't. Hebrews says everything now is open to the eyes of God. God has seen it all. He knows what you've done. And now you give an account. What did you do with the gift I gave you? you know, I imagine in this day there'll be Many who will be rewarded that we might not think so. Because they did things maybe in the quietness of their, of their homes. That dear old lady who prays every day. Nobody knows she does this. But every day she wakes up and prays for the ministries of the church. Before she goes to bed at night and lays her head on the pillow, she, she prays again. I think there are going to be a lot of rewards that we might not be aware of. But there also might be, that, it might be that time when we look at people and we say, boy, he's going to get a great reward. And it might not happen. 
because we work in the flesh, we're doing it with wrong motives. All of these things play a part. So I ask you, what will that day be like for you? When you stand before God, the God of heaven, and everything is open, is that going to be a day of triumph? Or could that be a day of humiliation? I trust that it's a day of triumph for all of us. You know, let me close with this. It's never too late to make a change. It's never too late to make a change. If for some reason you're not living for the Lord today, if you're not serving Him with gusto and everything that's in you, it's never too late to make a change. Change today. Start living for Christ today. So that on that day, God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and hand you a gold crown, which you in turn will give back to him. But for a brief moment, you'll be able to wear it. Father, we thank you this morning for our time together. We thank you, Father, that you have revealed to us uh, future things. Lord, what an amazing sight it, it was for John and will be for us. Father, I pray that we might all live in a way that, uh, that we recognize that, Lord, someday we give an account. And Lord, someday we share with God himself what we have done for him. Father, I pray if changes need to take place in life today, that we might make those changes. Father, there's so many things we need to be doing for you. Lord, the time is short. We need to get busy. And so I pray that, Father, your spirit might work in our hearts to help us to get busy. Not just for the reward, Lord, but because, Lord, we, we love you and we want to serve you. That's the desire of our heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we rejoice in the victory that we have in Jesus as we close the service this week? <coughs> and I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin.
And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. Come about the angel singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. The old Beneath the cleansing. 